Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Stephanie. And together, we're bringing Healthy back. Today, we have a very special guest on. I am so excited to talk to her. Her name is Dr. Kathy Stein. She's a a professor. Let me start all over again. She is a professor of epidemiology. She has a PhD in genetic epidemiology, and her research focuses primarily on infectious diseases. Woo, what a topic today. (laughs) She is also very interested in understanding COVID-19, specifically the views of other medical professionals and public health scientists that have been suppressed. In that vein, she has become an advocate for individual medical freedom. God, I love you already, Kathy. (laughs) (laughs) right up my alley, a smart, intelligent woman. And I am just super excited to have you on the podcast to get started. Kathy, can you, for people who don't understand epidemiology, what you do, what it's all about, could you maybe just give a little description of it? Sure. So the field of epidemiology is about the study of the cause of, and the distribution of diseases in populations. So like a lot of times, like, like and if you, especially if you think back a couple of years, anytime in the media you would hear about, oh, this study showed that if you drink lots of red wine, then it decreases your risk of cardiovascular disease. So the, the science that underlies those kinds of studies is epidemiology. And so often we're interested to figure out like why, if you're highly exposed to someone who has an infectious disease, I studied tuberculosis. If you live with someone with TB, why are you not getting TB? Or why is your case of TB really severe? And so those are the kinds of questions we answer. Okay. That's really cool. That's interesting because, um, you know, I recently got tested. Well, I do like every few months I'll get tested for my antibodies for COVID and I'm always positive. I have the antibodies still where my husband, he got tested. He has no antibodies, which (laughs) I just think is just so crazy. We are together all the time. So I love what you do. It's just so interesting. Um, So we'll start off asking you a bunch of questions, but I just, I just want to have a nice flow conversation with you today and just kind of understanding, you know, there's so much misinformation out there that's coming about COVID-19, the vaccines, the mask mandates. And my fear is that people are hearing two radical sides, points of views on things. You hear this study does this, this study says this. And I feel like the world is kind of getting numb to it all and really not knowing truth, right? And um, that's a scary place to be when people get numb to a situation and are just not even willing to listen anymore. We're, we're reading memes and memes become truth. And that's scary, right? So, you know, Stephanie and I talk about this all the time, just like, what is true? How do we know? How do people really know what's political, what's not political? And, um, so I don't know, whatever you've got to say on that, I would love to just listen to you talk. (laughs) I think that's such a good point because you're right that everything has been driven by memes and what the media says and what the government says. And one of my goals in all of this advocacy is let's go to the science. Let's go to the, the actual scientific studies many of which have been peer reviewed and are published in like really valid scientific journals. And let's see what the science says, because you don't, you talk about vaccines. How many times has our governor stood up and said, the vaccines are hundred percent effective. You will not get COVID if you get the vaccine. Literally no vaccine 
is 100% effective. Why, why are we saying this stuff? And so what I, my goal in all of this has been going to like, let's see what the literature says. Let's see what the studies of masks say. Let's say, let's see what the studies of vaccine effectiveness say. And then let's try to draw conclusions or develop policy or whatever, or just make individual choices based on that <laughs> rather yeah. than sort of the social media, political, whatever is going around. I love it. So true. Stephanie, do you have a question to start us off? Yes. Um, what you just said um, made me really question the um, what's being put out there about the effectiveness of the vaccine. And people just want that number. It's this much effective. It is 95%. It is 99% effective. So, you know, it's out there right now that this vaccine is 95% effective. What they're not looking at is the absolute rate of effectiveness and the relative rate of effectiveness and people don't understand the difference or why it matters. So can you explain to us a little bit about the difference between um, those two things, uh, the relative effectiveness and the absolute rate of effectiveness and how it applies to this vaccine? Sure. So, and I think another point that needs to come up in that discussion is like, that's what came out of the clinical trial, right? The clinical trial said it was 95% effective, but that was at the end of the clinical trial. Like how many months ago was that? And so one of the things that should be monitored and watched in sort of the population data is, okay, that's what the rate of effectiveness was then in a very controlled population, because I think what people tend to overlook is that when clinical trials are done, and this is not like sinister, this is for good reasons. I just taught this yesterday. The reason why you have a well-defined population, they're generally healthy, they're generally not super old, they don't have a lot of pre-existing conditions, because you want to know if the impact you're seeing of the vaccine is due to the vaccine and not some other pre-existing thing, right? It's also a little unethical to be evaluating a vaccine on a population that might be predisposed to getting sick, right? And so that said, that 95% or 94% came from those really well-controlled you know, clinical trials that were months ago. And so now what we're seeing going forward is well, now it's been months since those people got the vaccine or these other populations, because now everything is widespread, right? You know, they, they've given it to like everyone above, well, not everyone, everyone who wanted the vaccine above 12 years old has now gotten it. Now let's look and say, okay, how much, how much infe infection, hospitalization, whatever, is this thing preventing now? And it's dropping like rapidly. And I think, and and those studies, and it's funny because this came up in um, in a legislative hearing last week where the one representative said, well, my data says 94% and 95%. That was true months ago. And now things are dropping off in real, like in healthcare workers, in, in real life populations. And, you know, I could go into specific studies if you want, but I think that's the one point that people are kind of overlooking. And you also have to compare just to a baseline, like, okay, well, what about, how much does this compare to the actual population? So I, I think that it's, it's funny, because I think earlier when I talked to Maria, 
the point, you know, the, the conversation is, well, how do we know what truth is? And the thing is, there are there are different things can, can both be valid and both be true, but it depends on context. And the clinical trials done back then, if you went back to those same people, but now the numbers might be really different. Because they may have <laughs> COVID. And, and the, the antibodies or whatever immune response is generated by that vaccine are, may not be as robust now as they were six months ago, because right. that's what happens sometimes, especially like we've never, we, the world has never tried a vaccine like this before. We don't know what it's going to do long-term. Right. That's so my biggest you, problem. When they talk about the, the absolute rate of effectiveness, that's when they're looking at the vaccinated and the unvaccinated people, right? So like one in 100 people get COVID, but two in 100 people or that, that are vaccinated, I'm sorry. So if you're vaccinated, one in 100 will get COVID. If you're unvaccinated, two in 100 get COVID. That's actually a 1% effectiveness, not a 95% effectiveness. Right, yeah. And so what you're getting at there is sort of the, the underlying chances of even getting exposed and infected. And, and that's so true because we know how common it is to get asymptomatic infection, right? I mean, all these antibody surveys that were done, I mean, now we're looking at several months ago showed that. And so that's a really important point. 100%, yeah. yeah. And can we touch a little bit too on, so like I've had COVID, I have the antibodies for COVID. Um, now, when you hear the president of the United States and you hear governors talking about, okay, the vaccine is, you're not going to get COVID if you get the vaccine, which please, if anyone's believing that at this point, you need to really wake up because obviously they are. But when it comes to um, more strength, isn't it better to always get the disease and recover from it? Yeah. And what's remarkable is that that has gotten like shoved under the carpet or something, but that's always been true of every every infectious disease and every vaccine, that the immunity you get from natural exposure is more robust. And so that means it's probably both stronger and longer lasting than from a vaccine. And it's, it's interesting and, and sort of scary how they're sort of just ignoring that and pretending like that's not real. Like, but that's been sort of the mantra for decades, really. Oh yeah, we used to have oh. chicken pox parties, mm -hmm. you know? And that was the way you did it. You get the pox and and then you're set for a long, long time, probably your lifetime. You never have to worry about it again. I that, that blows me away that that's being completely overlooked, to be honest, too. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. Really. So um, any studies that like point out that you want to just talk to us a little bit about when it comes to the vaccines and, and, and more so like really protecting people from these vaccine mandates, what do people have to know? You know, I, sometimes I get labeled as an anti-vaxxer and I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm a, you do youer. like you do what's best for your family. I'm going to do what's best for my family. But when this mandate is overhead and people are losing their jobs and not being able to provide income for their family, we're in a scary, scary time. And this more than ever is when we need to be looking at truth. And, and what is going on. So, you know, political stuff put aside, where is the truth? Is there any truth that would make us want to mandate this vaccine? It's, it's so interesting 
um, so I'll, I'll talk about a specific study in a second, but I think the way that you put that is really important because I, I had an, I did an interview with a bioethicist from West Virginia a couple months or a month ago, and he made this point. He's like, under my question was, under which circumstances would it ever make sense to mandate something against your informed consent? Because that's what you're talking about. Like you do you, right? If if you feel like you need to protect yourself against this virus and you think that the vaccine is the best decision for you, then go out there and get it. Great. Mm -hmm. Just like it, you know, anything else you would want to do to sort of protect your own health, go out and do that. But if you are being required by, you know, a job mandate or university or whatever situation, well, when does that even make any sense? Because right there, you're talking coercion, which violates informed consent. So right there, we're in a bad area bioethically. And he talked to me, he's like, you know what, maybe, maybe it would make sense to push something like that and mandate something like that. Number one, if this was a super duper scary, deadly virus and people were dying in the street. Right. And, you know, we can talk at length about that, but we know that's not the, even if you look at the numbers that are jacked up, Right, because if you go to, we can talk about that at length, how these numbers are not accurate or representative of reality, even the numbers that are, like that's not, we're talking about a 99% survival rate. How does that justify forcing everyone to get the vaccine? And we also know that the vaccines, so this is getting to your question, we also know that their effectiveness is waning. And so, what I think, I mean, there have been a few studies on this now. What I think is the key study, because it was done by the CDC. And so it's, you know, everyone wants to defer to the CDC on everything these days. So let's see the study that they did. And there was an outbreak in Massachusetts. And it was some like music festival or something. When you look at that population that where this outbreak was, the majority of the COVID cases were vaccinated, fully vaccinated, like 70 some percent. Not only that, so not only so, and they also concluded from the study that those vaccinated individuals were spreading the virus. They also did viral loads, which, you know, we could debate back and forth whether or not the PCR gives you an accurate representation of viral load. But we also know that viral load is something we look at in other infectious diseases. We measure viral load in HIV. It's, it, 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 you know, it is a marker of who is most likely to spread infection or transmit a virus, right? The viral loads in the vaccinated and the unvaccinated individuals were not different. Oh my gosh. So not only are they, <laughs> right? And so not only were the majority of the cases in this outbreak, fully vaccinated, they had the same, and there, this study, this, that premise has been replicated in multiple studies since then. So it's not unique to this Massachusetts thing. So what's interesting is that the CDC used this study as sort of their premise for, you know what, we got to go back to universal masking. Because at the time they were saying, well, if you're fully vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask. But if you're not fully vaccinated, you need to wear a mask. And after that, they're like, oh, wow, <laughs> vaccinated people are spreading infection, they have to wear masks too. And so it's what I think is interesting, and this is kind of gets to the point, you know, about knowing truth and using truth. It's that study, even though the CDC used it to push one 
point that we all need to be wearing masks. The other point is that, but we also know that this is showing that the vaccine is not working as well as either they wanted it to, as they thought it would, whatever. It's, and, then, and really, if you read the study, it's actually really interesting. It's a very short paper, but it's, it's really like there's no other way to look at that data. Oh my gosh. I, my, my, my mind is blown right now. I just, I don't know. I can't make sense of any of it. Um, I want to touch on what you just talked about with the masks. Can you tell us about the masks, the effectiveness? Um, you know, originally it was like Etsy was blowing up because they were making all these cute little cloth masks. And then the hospitals are like, you can't wear that cloth mask anymore because of whatever, it doesn't work. So you have to wear this surgical mask. Can you talk about the effectiveness of the cloth mask and the surgical mask and why everything just keeps changing? <laughs> well, and to answer the second point first about why does everything keep changing? The reason why, and, and maybe I'm answering this is from a faith standpoint more than a scientific standpoint. If you can't just stick to the truth, if you, if you, if you cannot push just let's talk what the science says, let's talk about what the actual truth is, and you have to keep lying, your lies, your lies are going to contradict each other at some point. Okay. So in answering the question about like surgical masks versus cloth masks versus K95 masks and all those different things, it's interesting that I think, I mean, there have been a number of studies at this point. There were a lot of studies that were done pre-COVID which you know, everyone seems to think we can ignore, but they were, they were looking at viral transmission. So COVID is not special, but studies have been done in COVID too. So now you can't even argue that. And the, some of the study, uh, one of the main things I think had, that has come out from this research is that the K95 masks are probably the only ones that actually prevent anything. The cloth masks, the surgical masks are equivalent and they don't perform as well as the K95 masks. So I think that's the, the number one point. And, um, and a lot of it, there actually was a recent study, I have to dig up the exact link, that evaluated all kinds of different masks and, you know, and, and actually came up with a rate of like blocking transmission for every single kind of mask. And that one was really, I mean, it was, it was pretty definitive, I think. Um, so, but I think that's an interesting question. Like, well, why are all of a sudden the hospitals are requiring surgical masks, even though they were cool with clasp masks, even during the worst of the pandemic, really, it was just a little odd. Like I, I had surgery in December. I had to wear a cloth mask during my surgery. No one cared that it was cloth, but you know, that's, you know, because they have to keep changing their minds. But in general, if you look at the studies, especially the population-based ones, because I think those are the most representative. It's one thing, if you have a test done me in your lab where the, the airflow is controlled and everything is pristine and clean and you're simulating viral spread in a lab, that's one, okay, that's helpful, but that's not as helpful as looking at people in the world actually wearing their masks the way they wear them, because we know that part of the problem with masks is people touch their faces, they don't wear them properly. The seal is one of the most important aspects of wearing a mask. If it's not sealed to your face, it's not gonna work. And so if you look at those population-based studies, the majority of them show no difference 
in people's, you know, COVID rates, whether or not they get COVID based on whether they wore a mask or whether they didn't wear a mask. And again, it's funny because the CDC was part of one of those studies and they like to gloss over there like, oh, well, that's not really what those data mean, but that's what those data show. Um, but it's, it, it, it's so complicated. I mean, there, there are maybe two studies out there that show that the person wearing the mask might be protected, but there's so many other studies that show the opposite that it's, I think it's a little unfair to be mandating masks of everyone or re re recommending them of everyone when you haven't thought about all the other things, like the type of mask, how effective the seal is onto your face and all that other stuff. I mean, I could talk about this at length. I've done, <laughs> I maintain a website where I track the, the literature on all this mask stuff, not just talking about how effectively they prevent transmission or acquisition of infection, but also their harms. Um, there's a lot okay. of studies on that too. Um, what is that website? So if you go off the top of my head, if you go to healthfreedomohio.org and you go to that main page, you'll see a big fat picture of a mask. If you click on that, that'll take you to the most recent um, version of the document that I've written. Um, okay, that's, that is great information to have because, um, you know, my thing is I don't understand and have never understood why a healthy individual needs to be wearing a mask unless they want to, which is, uh, is there, but like the mandates just doesn't make any sense because uh, isn't the mask like from history always been to protect you know, other people, I guess, in the hospital from maybe somebody who's sick, right? But right. like, if you're a healthy individual and you, like for me instance, I've had COVID, I'm not worried about being around people who have had COVID. There's no reason for me to wear a mask. I don't, I just don't get that. And you're right. If, if you're not wearing a very fitted, perfect mask on your face, I just, it's not doing any good for me. And the other point that you're bringing up is why, why are we requiring this of healthy people, right? It is one thing that if you are sick or if you were recently sick or something and you want to wear a mask, okay, that's justifiable. But when you're talking about healthy people that have not, been, I mean, there's no reason, right? And that is based on this premise that asymptomatic people are spreading the virus. And if you think first about just basic infectious disease, biology, epidemiology, whatever, we always know that the more sick you are, like the more severe your illness, the more like if you're coughing a lot, for example, you are more likely to spread infection that way. You're gonna spread the bacteria, the viruses more if you are sicker. That's always, that's pretty well established. I don't know why that got kind of forgotten in all this. But then if you look, in COVID specifically, and you look at this idea of asymptomatic transmission and you compare it, and this is part of this is the early literature was so confusing on this because they confused asymptomatic versus pre-symptomatic. Like people who, like I, I can take your, I test you today and you don't have any virus. Two days from now, I can detect virus in your, your sputum or whatever. Okay, that makes sense because often you are infectious before we can detect the virus on you. That makes sense. But people who will never ever get a single symptom are less infectious. And, and there's literally a dozen papers that show that. 
that does the that go back to viral load? Like I may be carrying it, but I can't give it to you because the viral load is so small. Is that exactly, exactly. Okay. right? Because if you had a higher viral load, you would probably get sicker, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe there are other, there may be other reasons why some people are less likely to spread infection. I mean, so maybe they're healthier. Maybe they've controlled the infection so that the virus doesn't reproduce. Maybe anatomically, for some reason, some people are super spreaders. But if you look at the actual studies, like you see this, I mean, there are studies that show zero transmission from asymptomatic individuals, like literally zero. But we're still, but our mask mandates completely ignore that fact. It's like all of a sudden we don't even talk about asymptomatic transmission anymore because, and, and I need to actually go back. The last time I did that literature search was probably several months ago. I'm sure maybe they don't even look at it anymore. Well, people, but, they started telling people back when this whole thing started, that's why they started freaking everyone out so much was they just kept, you know, drilling into our heads. You can be asymptomatic and give it to your father and then he's going to die. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it became our responsibility, our healthy people that aren't carrying it, that aren't passing it. Um, all of a sudden we're going to kill our family members. If you don't do a, B and C it's on your, it's, it's, you know, they're going to die on, on account of you. So then then the guilt sets in, then we've got to follow all of this stuff because I may go around my father or my mother and, and kill them. And, and then that would be on me and I don't want to do that. So then people of the younger ages are freaking out because they're like, I'm carrying it and I don't even know it. And I'm going to end up killing, I'm spreading it to everybody. So this is really important information to get out there because that is still stuck in people's heads that mm -hmm. they can kill somebody by just being around them if they're not wearing a mask and they're asymptomatic and have it, which kind of leads me to my next thing. I have been directly exposed to it. I have caught, gotten some heat for this, but I have tried to get it. I was in a car with my daughter at her most sick with her fever, with her body aches, all the things for two hours. I was in an enclosed car with her. Then she went and had the test done. We found out she had it. I was drinking from her straws. I was kind of trying to get it, taking care of her. I never got it. I've been in, um, gently exposed to it in other areas, never got it. I've had my antibodies tested. That was many months ago, but they came back negative. I've, I know I've been exposed to it multiple times. Can you explain how that could possibly happen when this is the most contagious <laughs> virus in the entire world? <laughs> well, because maybe it's not because, <laughs> and, and, and this really goes back to something that I said at the very beginning, like, why, why do I study infectious diseases? Especially when you think about it, it's like my trainings in, in, in genetics initially. Right. And to me, that is the most fascinating question is why do some people who are highly exposed, like intense exposure, never get sick. And it's really because there's so much individual you know, variability in your immune response. And, and that comes down to so many things, right? It comes down to your nutrition, your general health, your, your genetics. I mean, it could, it could be so many, I've heard so many stories of, you know, husband had COVID and he was sick and coughing up a storm, wife shared a bed with him and never got anything. 
I mean, my, my, um, my little one who's now six last year. Um, so it was when she was still in pre-K, she had this horrible bad cough. I actually suspect it was COVID, but it was before they were doing COVID testing because it was February and she was like coughing so violently for about a month, like coughing so hard she would vomit. I, and I would snuggle her and I would hold her because she was sick and she didn't know what to do. I got nothing and I was intentionally exposed. And it's just, everyone has their own, you know, your own individual immune response is so variable. And that's why, even though it may have the, a great potential for being, you know, I just taught this too the other day, like, even though there may be a great potential of the virus to be so transmissible and so whatever, once it comes into you, if you have a great immune response, it doesn't really matter how oh. exposed you are, right? How about that? Oh, get out of here. <laughs> so if you take care of yourself and you have a strong immune system, that might help you not get it as bad, huh? Things like that. This is not novel to COVID, right? I mean, we know this about other infectious diseases too. It's immune, like vitamins actually matter, and 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 your general health actually matters. And even, I mean, I don't think I, I don't know if I have the study handy, but a while ago they showed that there was cross reactivity, and people who showed antibody responses to like SARS-CoV-1 or other related viruses we're having great immune responses to COVID. And it's the same principle where if you've, you've developed an antibody response through something else, maybe you will respond well to COVID-19 too. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And I know a lot of people can't think, um, like when you tell an unhealthy person, like the answer is to get healthy. That journey seems so long for them that they just want that quick fix. Like, we're like this with so many things in our life where instant gratification, quick fixes. But Stephanie and I have talked about this many times before. It really doesn't take that long. Like when I do our 10 day challenges by day four of wiping out all the inflammatory foods, getting rid of all the processed junk, drinking a lot more water, taking care of yourself. People are seeing major results day four, day five in the way they feel in the way their skin looks and the way their health is. So I imagine if you take a very unhealthy person and you say, let's, let's try and do things a little different in your nutrition and in your health world for 30 days. I mean, I would imagine that effect would be very positive for them when it comes to their overall general health and catching viruses. Cause there's viruses all over us, right? Like we're loaded with viruses in this world. Right. Right. And, and one of my colleagues even hypothesize that the reason why you don't see COVID affecting like African populations quite the same way is because they're so bombarded by so many different pathogens all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you're developing that cross reactivity. Um, yeah. Well, when that would um, kind of play into why were we seeing so much RSV and um, like sore throats and all that stuff. And I mm -hmm. think it's because we like blocked the ability to be catching viruses. We were at home, we were with only certain people. I don't know, I'm always a big fan of like, I just, I love germs, if that sounds weird. No, because that, that, there's actually the antigenic stimulation is there, you know, there are actual scientific studies that show that playing in dirt is good for you. 
And I do think that, especially all the mask wearing, especially in kids, I mean, you have, I mean, it's, it's a good and bad thing. So maybe people would argue, oh, well, maybe they didn't get exposed to COVID, but they got, they didn't get exposed to anything else. And that minimal amount of, of like, not like being bombarded by a virus or being bombarded by a virus, you know, and bacteria, but that minimal everyday exposure to pathogens is like a continual antigenic stimulation of your immune response. It is actually good for you. And by wearing a mask or by staying inside all the time or by sanitizing like crazy, I mean, all those those really dangerously, you know, the chemically stuff, you're, you're removing that natural immune boosting stuff from your, from your body. I, yeah, I think it's, it's sad. And I do think that's, I mean, I haven't really done the liter, the, the research on that with RSPB, but that's my suspicion is that especially these kids, I mean, and now you see them everywhere, just wearing masks all the time, like in gymnastics and stuff like, Oh, it's too sad. Can you um, talk to us a little bit about this? I'm kind of want to pick apart the vaccine a little bit, um, only because I get into conversations with people about how mRNA vaccines are not new, um, but they are new as far as putting them out there to give to humans. Um, I know that mRNA. Uh, vaccines or shots have been studied for many, many years. So I understand that's what people are talking about when they're saying that it's not new, but it is new to us. And from the research I've done, the reason why they've never used them before is because they've never worked. So can you kind of give us a little bit of detail about that? Just so, you know, we're educated. I personally need to know this information because I am, you know, I, this is all new to me. A new to a lot of people. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the first point is, yeah, they're not, they have been studied, especially in like animal, like model organisms, like animals and ferrets and stuff. And not only did they not work, in some cases, there were adver adverse reactions to them. Like, you know, the an uh, antibody dependent enhancement, the ADE phenomenon, which I don't know a ton about, but they're, that's why they really didn't move forward because they weren't working and they were causing some adverse reactions. So they kind of stopped. So yes, this is the first time that an mRNA vaccine has been really used at, in, in humans and at a population level. And I think that's something that, I don't know why people don't quite get is that this has never really been done. We're all of a sudden you're launching a vaccine on like millions of people without having done a lot of some of the, the intermediate studies to understand what happens long-term. And so, because it's never, I think it's the combination of things, right? It's number one, because it's never been really used in humans in, you know, in, in real life situations. And it's been doing, it's being done so broadly. I think there's so little we know about what these things actually do long-term. What do you foresee, just with your own knowledge that you have right now, do you see any problems down the road? Because you mentioned that they had had some adverse reactions. Um, I know you mentioned the one, the dependency. Um, do you foresee any major problems coming down? And then, you know, because they're going to keep coming out with the boosters. The boosters are already out. Um, just from your knowledge in your field, what are some of the problems that we can see with this? I think 
honestly, I don't know that we know because again, this has never been done. And, and because we, we, I mean, we, we do see the adverse reactions immediately, right? In individuals, you know, theirs is full of these things and the media's finally, some of these cases are starting to leak through of some of the really bad things that happen. Well, we don't, we literally have no way of knowing because this has never been done before. We have no way of knowing what the long-term effects could be. Could there be long-term effects? Could there be long-term effects because of the boosters? Would that somehow either create new adverse reactions or possibly synergize with the old stuff to make an adverse reaction? We literally just don't know. Um, I mean, and, and, that's, and that to me, frankly, is enough to just be worried about that. Like, because we've never seen this in a population, then be, that unknowing, I think is that uncertainty is enough from, you know, to be, to be concerned. Which, and, and this goes back to my whole thing on why it, you cannot have a mandate because you don't know, you don't know what the long-term effects are and people should have that choice. If you want to be part of the study, Hey, go for it. I think it's wonderful. You know, if, if you're fine with not knowing the long-term effects and you're more concerned about the short-term than you are about the long-term and you're okay with getting it, get it. But to mandate this and to allow people to not be able to make a living and feed their children, um, I just think is, I, th I just look at this country and I really don't understand where we're at. I don't know how we got here. Um, it's scary to me. It really is scary. And kind of going back to knowing the truth, how does an average person like me how, how do I go and find the truth? I mean, your website's going to be a place where I'm going to bookmark and go to, but I mean, what, what advice do you have for the average person to be able to find what we need to know? And, and that's a good, and it's a good question. And it's sort of a, a, a sad question because it's being, that information is being so suppressed, right? And it's, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, you have like the Facebook world that's telling you, oh, we have to stop the spread of information, misinformation. And so we're going to, you know, trigger words are going to get blocked or all that kind of stuff. Um, we know that in the academic world, people are being you know, actively discouraged from promoting any of this, like to talk about, let's, let's talk about what the science is. I mean, it happened to me where I was told, well, what well, you're spreading misinformation. Like I'm citing published literature. <laughs> wow. what, what, how is this? I'm citing the Ohio Department of Health data and actual scientific papers. How, how am I spreading? I'm just spreading the, the version of stuff that the other side, because that's, I mean, the, the truth about science is that there's always, there's always a discussion. There's always a debate. That's how it moves so forward. And so the, the real challenging question is how do you find this information when, you know, medical professionals, academics are being actively suppressed or being actively told, you can't talk about this. We're, you know, there's a case of a professor in California who was against the vaccine mandate and his university said, okay, well, you can't come to work anymore. They literally shut off his email. And so I, what, I would, what I would recommend to people is just a lot of diligence. And to really like, you know, I could give names of people to Google and like look for Martin Kulldorff and Jay Bhattacharya and um, Aaron Kiriatri. And there, there are people out there that are doing everything they can <laughs> 
to spread the other side of the information. Um, you know, follow the health freedom groups because they're pretty good at finding these articles and, you know, putting this information together and, and spreading it. Now it's hard because they're being shut down too, but often they have really good information. They're not spread. I mean, despite what everyone's saying, they're not spreading misinformation. They, they refer to actual scientific papers. And, and I would just encourage people to just look really hard, <laughs> try, just keep, I mean, because I mean, the, the shadow banning is a real thing. Yeah. Um, just, just be diligent and, and talk to people who, you know, try to find those names out there that are actually spreading truth. How many yeah. years have you been doing this? I mean, I, I got my PhD in 2004 and I, okay, so, uh, th this kind of leads me to my next question. I'm, I'm just baffled and almost speechless you've seen so many things come down the pipeline, right? All these different bacteria, viruses, you've studied this since then and before, I'm sure. Um, why are they shutting people down for speaking science? What, or what would be your educated guess for why they are coming to you and being like, you can't talk about that when you've been doing this for, I just don't understand why. <laughs> And, and, and that's where, like, as a, as a professor, as an academic, like, I can't come up with an answer for that because it blows my mind. Okay. I mean, literally, like, science is built on debate. Like, professors get in heated arguments. Like, it happens. And this is the one area where we're not allowed to have discussion. Yeah. I mean, and I will say part of it, I do believe, is, you know, when when the lockdowns happened and everyone got sent home, those little water cooler conversations, they didn't happen anymore. And so you couldn't even have a discussion with somebody with like, you know, why, like, you know, why are we taught, why are we all being made to wear masks? If, you know, if this and this, and, or did you see that study? And so a lot of those discussions have been halted because, and I mean, and I don't know. I don't know if, if they don't want to be the one that says the emperor is not, has wearing no clothes. Mm -hmm. If they're afraid of that backlash, because the backlash is ugly. I mean, I've been there. I know a lot of other people that have been there. Um, maybe they don't want to be the one. And because the, the messaging was so intense in the very beginning. And you know what? I, I mean, I'm, I'll be really honest. Even though my... There was something wrong like when all of this started in march of 2020 and i'm like there's something really wrong here but i didn't go out there you know guns a blazing and blaring my trumpet saying oh this is all lie like i waited and i'm like let's see what the data shows let's what let's see what the science starts to show but let's let's be a little cautious here let's not be completely terrified of this yet and then and then but then the megaphone of the media became so loud and, and I, and I really wonder if, you know, and there are some scientists that are coming out now and that they're feeling a little emboldened, like I can't do this anymore, but there's so many others that would rather just be on the, the winning team or, you know, and it's, it's, it's sad, you know, especially as, as someone who has faced the backlash for that. It's, it's sad. It is. I, it's I don't terrible. know. <laughs> it's terrible. And even like in just regular average folk 
people don't have the education that you have, you know, it's one thing like we, whoever really talked about vaccines before. I mean, I was active because I have a vaccine injured child, but like we never sat there and was like, did you get your flu shot? Did you get this? I mean, people just went on about their business. If you wanted one, you went down to CVS and you got one, or you went to your doctor. Like now it's such a subject of every conversation. Are you vaccinated? Oh, if you're not vaccinated, you can't go to this concert. If you're not like, what? Where, where, how did we get to this place? And then there are so many people that are just so unwilling to stand up and fight against this. And I'm not fighting for you not to get vaccinated. I'm fighting for you to have a choice. There's a right. big difference in that big difference. Yeah. And, and I, and I think, yeah, I think that's such an important point. And I think part of it is because this has literally taken over our news. It has taken over our discussions. It has been everything front and center about COVID. And, you know, we're all locked down. And just the fact of being, you know, when people were locked down for so long, the impact it had on the economy, all like you couldn't get away from it. And yeah. so I think all of that contributed to the fear. And, you know, if you think about the way that, you know, the, the, the media would present the numbers like, oh, well, this today there were this many birth, you know, deaths and this many cases and this, and you, you don't hear the denominator. And this is something that I like was very quick to start pointing out to people like, so what if there were a thousand cases today? We have a state population of 11 million. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah. so it's all about understanding, like, you know, it was to like Stephanie's point before, like, let's talk about what the actual at-risk pop, like, what are we talking about here? Yes, it's sad for those people that are sick, but we've had pandemics before, we've had big flu outbreaks before, and it didn't take over every thought and, you know, everything that we were going through. And so I think that's part of the reason why now the vaccine is such an issue is because everyone's been programmed to only think about this virus and to be scared of it all the time. Yeah. I wonder if they, back in the high flu season, if they would have had the little ticker yeah. going across the screen, I wonder what those numbers would have looked like. I think they would have been extremely similar to the COVID numbers and we got past, I mean, what is, in your opinion, I know what my opinion is, but I'm not educated enough to give it. In your opinion, what is the answer? What do we need to do to get past this? I think and I, I would probably get in trouble for saying this, but I think we just need to let it run its course. And if people, again, if people want to get vaccinated, go fine, but understand that you're probably going to be taking boosters forever. And that, you know, that this isn't, you know, your one two shot vaccine isn't make, going to be enough. Natural, you know, this thing, it may just have to run its course, either that or this is a new thing that's sort of a, a seasonal cyclical virus. Right. I mean, if you plot the numbers, you, it, it has that ebb and flow, just like the flu does every single year. And so, you know, maybe if we stop focusing so much on this, I mean, there are other, there are other viruses, there's other, you know, respiratory infections. And, you know, maybe if we just let this go and be kind of come, become used to it like you know this, maybe this is part of our lives now and maybe we need to learn how to work around it rather than mandating vaccines and mandating masks and making you know people still work remotely yeah i don't know i mean 
again, you know, I think a lot of people would get mad at me for saying that. And I, they have, right? Because they're like, oh, but this might kill grandma. Well, then those people, you need to do a risk assessment. I mean, if you have a lot of pre-existing conditions, maybe you need to take extra steps to make sure that you won't get sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or work on getting healthy and do simple little things that'll help your body be able to get the virus and, and not have death. And, and I agree with you. I think anytime you take a stance of like, we just got to let this thing go through and go through everybody, you're immediately labeled as a hater and you want grandma and grandpa to die. And how dare you, but people please remember grandma and grandpa were dying from the flu. They're dying from diabetes. They're dying from heart disease. They're dying from a lot of things. And unfortunately death is part of life. Um, but we really can't keep doing this to our economy, to our, our mental. Oh, we didn't even get started on mental. I mean, the mental, mental health has completely gone down the tubes. So like, we need to find an answer that's going to work and not ruin a lot of other things too. And, and I agree with you on that, but again, I'm, I'm not educated enough to be able to take a stance, but Stephanie, you got any last minute stuff? I just, I personally think I don't know how you feel, Kathy, but I feel like the agenda needs to change. They need to start talking to people about sleep. They need to start talking to people about stress. Like if you're not sleeping, you are this more likely to get this, uh, you know, to get COVID. If you are stressed out every day um, or you're stressed out every day, so you're not sleeping, you're more likely to like focus on giving people tips to help them sleep, to learn boundaries, to not work until three o'clock in the morning when they don't have to. And then focusing on nutrition, telling people to go out there and buy fruits and vegetables and whole foods. Um, the agenda right now is so pushed towards everyone that's not wanting to mask or vaccinate being selfish. They're putting this huge divide between us. When I feel like we could do a great job of lowering the statistics on this, if we just focused on helping each other get healthy, if anything, and and working on ourselves. Yeah, no, and I've I've been saying this for a while. Like, why aren't we talking about vitamin D? Yes, like vitamin D deficiency is so prevalent in 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 the population in general. I mean, you normally you have to most people have to supplement vitamin D anyway, and we know that vitamin D deficiency is associated with both more severe COVID and with mortality. Like this is, there's actual data to support this. It's not just a nutritional frou-frou sort of thing. So you have that fact that why aren't we talking about increasing, you know, healthy eating, you know, nutritional supplementation. And the other thing that people kind of forget, and we've kind of alluded to this is the fact that you know, there was a CDC study and actually it was done. It's actually been done twice. They did it and then they revisited it where initially the report was 94% of COVID deaths occurred in people with an average of two and a half comorbidities. Mm-hmm. What people don't realize is they revisited that study and they did it after more people had died. And it went up to 95% of deaths were in people with an average of four, four comorbidities. Why aren't we talking about that? Why aren't we talking about maybe the fact that some people, and if these comorbidities are things like obesity and cardiovascular disease or diabetes, those are things that can be modified 
with diet. It's hard. It is totally hard. hard. It's so hard. And people don't want to hear that. They don't like Maria said, they want the quick fix. There was someone that told me if I hear one more thing about the vitamin D levels and I was like, what aren't you getting? There is a direct correlation. This is huge. What do you mean if you, and it was like, she just didn't want to hear it. She didn't want to hear the vitamin D thing, but it's such an easy fix. Go out and get some more sunshine, take some vitamin, you know, good vitamin D supplements. Like, I mean, it's the, the facts right now are huge in regards to vitamin D. So don't tell me you don't want to hear one more thing about it and then start pushing the vaccine on people. These are the things we can do to fix it. So that you're, you're right. It's hard and people don't want to do hard. You know, they just don't. Vitamin D is so easy. That's easy. easy. I mean, I have my levels checked twice a year. My endocrinologist does it and we get our, we get, you know, the kind of vitamin D that one of my doctors recommends and we all take it. It's easy. Yes. That's an easy, that's an easy button. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, latest numbers on the survival rate, Kathy, where are we at? Oh gosh. I mean, it's, I think everyone sort of floats around somewhere above 99%. I think it, it depends a lot on, you know, the age demographic and, and stuff, but you know, and it's high, like super like 90, is it 99.9? Is it nine? I don't care. It's really high. It's very high in the nineties, somewhere in the nineties. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, I had a wonderful time, Kathy. Thank you so much for your knowledge and your time and just blessing us with all this. We are going to put the link to your information in the show notes. Um, and then any of the CDC websites that are research that you noted, we'll have that in the show notes as well. Stephanie, you got anything else to say? Thank you so much because that was, that was really, I think what a lot of people need to hear. Hopefully people will share this and listen to it and, you know, take, take the advice as needed with an open mind. You with an open mind. Yes. How about you? you, Any last minute things you wanted to get across? No, I, I appreciate you having me on and I appreciate the the opportunity to kind of present that other side because it it really is a little terrifying how that information is just being held back from people. And I think, I think it's empowering to be, to be honest, understanding like, oh, wait a minute, there is another side to this and it isn't that scary. And, and there's a lot I can do and, and, and those sorts of things. I think it's, it's just really important. And I, and I think, I think the open mind thing is really the most important point. Like don't, don't accept everything that's being presented to you at face value, really try to be open-minded and try to explore other reasons why, you know, why there is a, a pandemic, what, what can I do to improve my own health? Um, and maybe, you know, and I don't need to violate other people's individual rights in order to protect myself. Oh, I don't need to violate other people's individual rights in order to protect myself. Oh, 